0: My name's Colton. I'm the youth pastor here at SunWest, and it's good to be back. My wife and I, we took a couple weeks of holidays in the month of July, so um, yeah, it's great to be back. Going for the last two Sundays. We're here, and it's, it's to see so many uh, familiar and yet so many new faces. So, uh, three weeks ago, we went to uh, Abbotsford, Langley, Vancouver, that whole area. Area We drove around all the time. Uh, it's beautiful there, and it was nice to be able to hang out with some really good friends of ours. One of the the couples. Uh, the guy was in my wedding party, I was the best man at his wedding party, and it's so good just to be with good friends. And the other one uh, is that we stayed with is a really good friend and mentor of mine, that this whole journey and relationship with Jesus, for me, uh, I grew up in the church, but it really started when I was 15 years old, and when I was 15, I got to know Jesus in this whole new way, and this guy, Jeff, uh, who we went to go visit, he has been my mentor since then. So, we are going over over 10 years of this relationship of there who's asking good questions and challenging us. So we were able to go get some rest, spend time with some good friends. We were back for a week in the office, and then we left again on holidays where we went to Saskatchewan and we spent some time camping. Who spent some time camping this summer? Anybody? A few people. Who's spending some time camping this weekend? Everybody who's not here. Uh, Because It's an August long weekend, and a lot of people go camping. But while we were camping, we went to a lake that I went to all the time when I was a kid. So this is the first time that we actually brought our daughter, Lucy, who's 13 months, camping with us. And it was really cool to start to create some of those, like, some of the fondest memories that I have as a kid. We're starting to create those as a family, and it was awesome. Uh, While we were there, um, Lucy, she woke up every single night at about between 1 a.m. and 2 a.m., and she would just cry. You know, it was really nice because she was just letting us know that she was still there. You know, just really thoughtful, super nice. We really appreciated it. Uh, and there's one night that we, like, gave her the bottle, we gave her the soother, we tried to hold her, and all these things, and nothing seemed to work at all. So we're like, you know what, we did like the mean parent thing. Uh, and we let her cry it out, uh, which is never easy. And we cried out and finally after half an hour, she finally went to sleep. And we were just like, oh, put her heads down on the pillow. in just such relief. Um, so much in fact that Angel then had to go relieve herself and go to the bathroom. And going to the bathroom, woke Lucy up and we started that whole process again for another hour and a half. Um, but you know, maybe we didn't get that much sleep, but we're back. We feel rested, energetic, and I'm excited to be here. This is my first sermon preaching in this, in this building, which is awesome, and I love it. I didn't have to, like, run to the office, print my papers, come here and do all these things. It's just right here. It almost feels relaxing, and it's good to be here. So today, we are continuing our sermon series called Juice. Uh, As you can see on the graphic, um, we are on week five. Juice is talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Um, That with these juices, right, like what you squeeze, um, the fruit of the Spirit is something that we're wanting to come out. So a little bit later, we're going to spend some time in Galatians 5. 22 to 25. So if you have your Bibles or if you'd like to follow along, um, that's where we're going to be spending a bit of time today and we're going to jump around and we're going to share a few other verses as well. But Galatians 5 starting in verse 22. A few months ago, Angel and I, we decided it's time for us to buy a new rug. Uh, our old one, it was just, getting, it was just old, uh, that we needed a new rug in our living room. And we went and we had three things that we really wanted to achieve. Number one, something that looked good. You know, you want a rug that actually looks good in your place. Number two, something that fit the space. And number three, most important, that it was affordable, Like, I don't know, we went rug shopping, and rugs are crazy expensive. I had no idea until we started to go rug shopping, and we go to so many different places. Like, this is a really big ordeal. Um, Like, we went to tons of different places. Finally, uh, we found out we can't really afford any rug. So when that happens, you go to Ikea, and you get what they have. So we went to Ikea, and we found a rug. You know what? Like, it looks okay. It doesn't really fit the space, but it was affordable. So we got one of the three. Um, But this rug, when it comes to Ikea, that you can't really, we didn't get a choice of what color we wanted. uh, So we got the nicest looking rug that what we thought, and the colors were light, gray, and white. Um, So a light gray and white rug. We put it out, roll it out on our uh, living room, and right away, I I look at Angel, she looks at me, and we try to create a plan to keep this rug as clean as we can for as long as we can. Okay, so we have like this, this is what we're going to do, we're going to keep it clean, we're not going to do this, and we just had like all this list of rules, Um, and that week, that Sunday, I woke up early. I was making some, some coffee and I just got brand new beans and I was like really excited to drink this coffee. If you don't know anything about me, I love my coffee in the morning. So I was making my coffee and I like poured into my cup and I made a little bit too much coffee for the cup. And you know when it's like, just like overflow, like almost about to overflow that it's just right at the top. And I like did like the sip thing and I just like sipped the top and I walked to go sit down. In our living room to go read. Lucy wasn't up yet. This is gonna be so peaceful. Uh, and I go and I sit down and I've got my cup and I go to sit down and my arm, maybe I shouldn't do it around the piano, bumps the armrest and the coffee phew, like spills out of my cup. And it almost feels like slow motion. It's like, whew, and the drops are in the air. You can see them spreading and it like hits my leg and hits all over the brand new carpet. So I sit there in shock first and didn't do anything, and I thought, oh, panic, all of a sudden sit in. So first shock, then panic, and I run downstairs to the basement, I get cleaning supplies, and I'm like cleaning the rug, hopefully before Angel like wakes up and comes downstairs so she doesn't like say, I told you so, or something, so I'm like cleaning it up, uh, and I, I think I was able to get most of it out, which is great, until, I mean, a few days later, Lucy spit up and threw up on the rug anyway. So I don't know what we were thinking getting a new rug with a baby. But this is what we're talking about. This whole idea of what we put into our lives that once we get bumped or things come up or troubles come up, what comes pouring out? The Apostle Paul knew exactly what he was talking about when he went to the fruits of the Spirit. Um, That in Galatians actually starts off with 5.16. He gives this list of, of these fruits and these things that aren't so good. He goes and gives a list of these sins and this conflict and these things that come up, this list that's not so good, like coffee, that if we fill ourselves up with these things that aren't that great, that when we get bumped and they spill over, that they actually stain our lives. Right? That sin that stains our lives and we frantically quickly look to clean it up and we frantically clean it up before anybody else will notice that Paul is addressing these issues. But he says instead of filling our lives with something of the spirit something that's clean something that's not only clean when it spills but it's something that actually spills over and it, it cleans the mess that's there that we're to be people who are filled with the spirit and this is what it looks like to be filled with the spirit we're going to read now galatians 5:22 to 25 it says this but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace forbearance kindness goodness faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since then we live by the Spirit. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, with env- er, provoking and envying each other. So that's what we're going to be spending time on. That's what we've been spending time on the last five weeks And this summer and we're continuing talking about the fruits of the Spirit and this week we're going to be talking about peace what does it look like to be people in the midst of of war and conflict and violence and anger that when we get bumped with those things what's gonna pour out are we gonna be people who pour out coffee and stay in the situation or are we gonna be people who pour out peace and love and the Spirit I mean, we are not strangers to, to war and violence. Angel and I, when we were on holidays, we didn't have any TV, nothing like that. It was so peaceful. Um, but when we get home, we look on the news and we can, right away I saw that there was shootings in Toronto, uh, that there were killings out east, uh, that there's war between our governments about trades, that there is war and conflict everywhere we look that that is something, that is the worldview in which we are in, and we have a choice of how we're going to react. You know, this isn't something that is new. When we actually open up our Bibles, we, like we can open it up right to the beginning and flip a couple chapters, and right away in Genesis 3 and 2, we already see, the, or 3 and 4, we see this conflict. We see war. We see this between brothers. We see vengeance, and we see the first murder right at the beginning. Right? This is something that is deeply enrooted rooted in, in us and in, in, uh, our history, that we continue to look through the Bible and we see uh, war, conflict, uh, vengeance, that that is the, the worldview in which Jesus came into. That is the Jewish worldview. That there was a time that they were oppressed by the Egyptians, the Israelites, who in the Bible and the Old Testament are referred to as as God's people, that they were oppressed by the Egyptians. They finally are released and they establish their kingdom. They establish their kingdom, one, for them that was filled with peace because they were the ones who were in charge that they longed to have that peace back. What I find kind of ironic in the middle of that is that they were at peace as long as they had nobody who disagreed with them. And if they had people who disagreed with them, we can open up our Bibles and we can see that there's lots of violence and war and killing right in there. But that's how they thought that peace was to be established. Peace was to be established by force. That they lived in the glory days, but the time of Jesus, those glo- the, the days weren't so glorious. That we see that they were um, taken over by the Assyrians that they were put into exile by the Babylonians and they come out of exile into into the dominion of Rome, that the Israelites, that they were the oppressed people. They longed for peace. They wanted peace. They wanted the good old days that peace was established, that they had the kingdom and the kingdom was there and it was taken by force. That there is this prophecy in Isaiah that talks about it talks about the prince of peace. In Isaiah 9, 6, it said uh, that the Messiah was described as the prince of peace. One would come and establish peace. But this is their idea of peace. Peace was brought by force. I find it really funny. I'm sure Rome, at the time of the Israelites, the, Rome, the Roman Empire thought that they were at peace. That if nobody was against them, that they were at peace. And if anybody came to fight them, that they would just get rid of them and establish peace again. That peace is... is Uh, Best seen in the eyes of the victor. It's best seen in the eyes of the one who's in charge and in conquering. And that is what the the Israelites desired. They wanted peace, that they wanted their kingdom. They wanted everything to be established the way that it used to be through the Prince of Peace. And they got that. They got the Prince of Peace, but not in the way that they expected Instead of this mighty king, the Prince of Peace comes and is described by the angels. uh, He comes as a baby. This is is the good news that they are waiting for of hundreds of years, but it came in a really unexpected way. That there is a time in Jesus' life right after he feeds the 5,000, this miraculous story that he starts to gather this following of people, and they try to make him king by force. You know, Jesus knew what they were thinking, but he escaped uh, that scenario because he wanted to establish peace, but he did not want to establish it that way. While Jesus was here on earth, uh, he did it this way. He did, not, he did not teach, hate your enemies and kill those in your path to find peace. Instead, he said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When he said, when somebody comes and slaps you on the cheek, what are you to do? You're supposed to turn the other cheek and get it slapped as well taking that violence and taking that insult upon yourself. Um, if a Roman guard were to come up to you and ask you to carry his gear for a mile, which they were allowed and required to do, that you were not supposed to just carry it for a mile, but you were supposed to carry it for two, that this was radical, radical teaching, that Jesus is, Jesus is teaching and establishing peace, but people, they want... like for like, In history, people want violence. They want to fight for what they believe in. That there's one time that Jesus says this, and this is the verse that people take out of context again and again and again to support violence, to support war, to support uh, crusades, to support all of those things. It's when Jesus says, says this. He makes reference and he says, If you do not have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. That his disciples heard him say this, and Peter, being one of those disciples, that when we actually see this lived out, that in some of the last moments of Jesus' life, he's getting arrested uh, by the Jewish leaders and authority in the Roman government, and he get, when he's getting arrested, Peter draws his sword that he thought that Jesus was telling him to get. He draws his sword, and he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. Right? And if Jesus was one who this, if he's saying this seriously if, of sell your cloaks, buy your swords, uh, then what he would have done is he would have said, continue to fight for my freedom. Right? He, would have been, he would have been like, Peter, yeah, Peter, keep going, yeah, this is great. But instead, he does something different. He stops it. He stops the violence, and he heals the ear. What I think is just fascinating in this thing is that Jesus, in that moment, that he stopped the cycle of violence, and he healed the brokenness. That's what Jesus does in the face of war. That's what he does in the face of violence and brutality, conflict and disagreement, that he stops the cycle of violence and that he heals whatever was broken. That this whole image of this sword that he's talking about is this, is this future, is this metaphorical battle and the story of these things that are going on. When we see that Jesus lives it out, that he lives it out in a completely different way. It says another prophecy in Isaiah. It says this in 2 4. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many people. They'll beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will no longer take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. This is this prophecy of the Prince of Peace uh, that we hear about in Isaiah. And it didn't take, um, yeah. Here at SunWest, we are a part of this Mennonite Brethren community. Uh, I don't know if many of you know too much, but what does it mean to be Mennonite Brethren? But for me, that's like my history, that's my culture, that's my parents, parents my grandparents, grandparents, uh, that in my blood flows Rokyuken and farmer sausage and cream gravy. That's who I am. Uh, I don't know if there's anybody else who's here that has cultural Mennonite brethren background, but it's way more than the culture. Okay, So if you did not grow up that way, that is okay because there's something much deeper about the MBs and that is what we believe. Right, That that is the thing that we have in common and what we believe. And I just want to share a little bit about the history of MBs and this whole idea of peace and what that looks like. They come from this guy called Menno Simons. All right, So Mennonite, Menno Simons. Uh, Mennonites are the followers of Menno Simons. So uh, Menno, he grew up in the Catholic Church. You see, this was a time that is very different than now, that the Catholic Church and the government were one. They were in cahoots with each other, and when the government went to war, it was the church going to war, that this was a moment in their history that is very different than it is now, okay? So Menno is very, as his journey progresses, is very against Catholics. Uh, for me, I've got some beautiful brothers and sisters who are Catholic that I love quite dearly, okay? Uh, but that time with Menno was completely different, and here... Menno, during his life, he was a priest, that he was teaching those things, that he was deeply and heavily involved in the Catholic Church. And there's one time on a discussion about communion that he was challenged. There was something that didn't quite line up in his mind that he just thought, huh, you know, I've been listening to the church and what they're saying for a long time on this topic, but what would it look like if I actually just stopped and took a look at the Bible? So Menno spent time in his Bible and realized, hey, some of those things that I've been teaching or have been taught are not quite the same as, as what it's saying in the Bible. Jesus says something a little bit different on those things. As he started to hear those things, he hung out with some radical people. In that time, he hung out with some people who were known as the Anabaptists, the people who were re. Baptized That this infant baptism that they thought, no, actually baptism is for confession on your, of your faith. And he started to hang out with some of those people. And one of his friends was killed for what he believed in because it threatened the government. It threatened the established church, that the church wanted to establish peace and get rid of anybody who opposed it. And that led Menno to hang out with more of these Anabaptists and get some of these thoughts and ideas. And he hung out with this one group And this incident changed his life forever. He hung out with this one group of Anabaptist radicals that saw that there was like a Catholic government that they thought, you know what, the way to fix this is actually to establish an Anabaptist government and to fight for this Anabaptism, that they went to the city of Munster in Germany and they took over the city by force. They took over the city by force um, and they established their government that lasted for six months because their peace was not peaceful for somebody else. And the government came back over and and won it by force, and by war, and by battle, Uh, and they took it over, and they took the leaders of this resistance, this Anabaptist leaders, and they brought them to the middle of the town square, and they tortured them, and they killed them in front of everybody. In this was lots of Menno's friends, including his, his own brother. After this, this is when Menno really started to teach a lot of those things, but it really uh, solidified his idea of, you know what, the church is not our main authority. That Menno said, you know what, the Bible is our main authority. As we progress, Midnight Brethren, now we say actually Jesus is our main authority. Right? He is the character of who God is, and another one was uh, baptism, and another, the last one was he said that this whole idea of the of trying to establish an Anabaptist government is not the way that we need to do it. We should not be fighting. We should not be doing that to establish our kingdom. We're a part of the kingdom of God, and that's a kingdom of peace. So he taught peace and non-resistance, and love. That that is what in in our body right here as Mennonite brethren, that we deeply believe that we are people of peace, non-resistance, and love. That it didn't take long for people to get uh, to follow Menno's ideas. And there's this one guy and his name is uh, Dirk Wilms. Not spelt the same as mine. He's got the E-M-S at the end. I don't know whose name came first. It doesn't matter. Okay, but this guy named Dirk Wilms, Wilms was an Anabaptist, that he was a radical, that he was teaching those things, uh, and at one point in his, in his teachings that he got arrested, right? He was a threat to the peace and the government that was established. He was a threat, so he was arrested. He was brought to the second story of this prison where he was, uh, wasn't fed much food, that he was malnourished, that he became skinny, and he had this idea, hey, you know, around the prison is this lake that when it starts to freeze over, I'm going to escape, and I'm going to run across this lake, and that's what he did. So, in in probably yeah, when the when the water started to freeze, he escaped from his cell. He went down and he started to run across this frozen lake, which he could do because he was malnourished. He was skinny. He didn't have much food. And a guard, seeing him trying to escape, goes to chase after him. And as this guard who's chasing after him, who has been eating healthily, I guess, uh, he falls through the ice. And this guy who falls through this ice, this guard, that he actually starts to call for help. Dirk, in that moment, he had a few choices, right? He could have uh, just kept running. Well, I mean, he could have just walked over there and just pushed the guy in a little bit more and then kept running. Uh, he could have just ran and escaped, but he, he stopped. And he thought, well, if Jesus taught love and peace, what, what do I do in this situation? So he went and he actually helped the man out of the ice. And he walked him back, and they rewarded Dirk for his efforts with putting him back in prison, for torturing him and burning him at the stake. For Dirk, that is what peace-making was all about, that in the midst of conflict, uh, in the midst of this war and this brutality, that he had a choice, and that was the choice that he made. So for us that I think when we face conflict, and I know that it's not the same, right? I know, I know that not at this point, I don't think anybody is trying to go out and get you and imprison you for these ideas and what you believe, but there is always some form of conflict, a disagreement, or maybe we're in a fight with somebody that we love dearly, that there is this war, this idea of this war that's going on in our lives, but we have a, we have a choice of how we want to respond. So how are we going to respond in the face of conflict and disagreement, I think there are a couple ways. number one is to fight we could fight you know what this is this is kind of how i 'm wired. I grew up playing sports and I was old kid that was chirpy, that was beaking at other people, that was trying to fight because I wanted to win. Uh, Because if I wasn't winning, I was losing, and losing is not acceptable. That's just how I was wired, Uh, and i bring it into marriage and my relationship with my wife, and when we get in a disagreement, like like, right away, I'm like, I'm trying to win. Because for me, I want to establish my own peace, and I want to win this argument. And we're trying to figure out some of these things, so we've been doing some personality tests. I don't know if anybody's done anything with the Enneagram. Has anybody done, like, some stuff with the Enneagram? Anyways, uh, I was going through it, and we've done a few tests, and I keep coming out with is number eight. uh, And number eight is, like, the jerk. Sorry for anybody who's at number eight. Uh, I'm not using that as an excuse, but that's how I'm wired. You know, I'm, like, I'm ready to fight in the face of disagreement and argument. That's how I'm wired. There's another way to react to it, and that is to flee, that we can... We can flee and that is how my wife is wired. So you can imagine how our our disagreements go because we're regular people. We have disagreements sometimes and that's okay. Uh, So you can see how they would go that I go into the, the disagreement and I'm ready to win where Angel is like ready just to back away. And then at the end of our conversation, I thought I won until she doesn't talk to me for two or three days and I wonder what happened. I thought we had peace, uh, but we didn't. But we both had inner conflict going on at the same time um, because we didn't establish those things. But luckily enough, there's actually this third option. Uh, There's peacemaking. In the face of conflict and war and disagreement, we could flee or peacemake. And there's this quote, and I, and I just want to read it to you, and I think it's beautiful. It says this. Uh, to make peace is to tear down barriers of misunderstanding and prejudice, anger and hate, and to replace those barriers with bridges of acceptance, forgiveness, friendship, and love. This is what God has done for us in Jesus, and this is what we are called to do. Right? We are people of peace. What we need to do is we need to tear down barriers of misunderstanding. Because a lot of the times when there's just conflict that's going on in our lives, if we just talk to the person and have understanding, that actually resolves it. And we need to we need to stand up. It doesn't mean to get angry and to avoid, but it actually means that we need to stand up to prejudice and anger and hate. And I just love that. And replace those barriers. So it's not just fleeing, it's not just getting away from that scenario. It's actually replacing the conflict, replacing the battle, replacing the war uh, with acceptance, forgiveness, friendship, and love. A couple of years ago, Uh, We had a SunWest men's movie night uh, where we went to Canyon Meadows Cinema, so the movie theater that we used to meet at, and we watched this movie. So I just want, I think this movie gives a great example of what I've been talking about this morning. So I just want to, I've been, I was debating, I was going like back and forth on should I show this or not because it's about war. So it's a little bit, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a warning beforehand, so that way my conscience is clear, uh, that it's a little bit gruesome because it's, it's war. And there's a little bit of kissing, but they're married, and it's okay. Um, so I just want to, this, this movie is called, um, this movie is called Hacksaw Ridge, and it's talking about, uh, this whole movie is all about World War II, and this guy who, who is religious, and he's got beliefs that he should not take the life of another person, but yet... That is, there's war going on. It's World War II. There's a, really, uh, there's, a, there's a really visible war that's going on, and he had the option of how to deal with this, with this war, uh, with this anger, and with this conflict. So let's just quickly watch this video, and we'll talk a little bit about it after. I remember sitting and watching this movie uh, with somebody in our church, and there's so many moments that are like, like just like, it's like any war movie, like loud explosions, uh, that there's somebody who like jumped up, popcorn went in the air, scared everybody else uh, in the movie theater. But there is something that is really important uh, that I wanted to show this clip. And that is in the face of rape violence and the face of really, real war, he had the choice of how to respond to this. Where many went to go fight and kill to establish their peace, uh, where many... Went and actually just uh, fled and avoided because they didn't want to deal with it. He went and was a peacemaker. That he didn't kill. That he didn't. That he didn't. Um, yeah. That he didn't kill. That he didn't bring violence, but he actually brought healing into the situation. Right? We read about Jesus where he stopped. Right? Stopped that violence and he healed the brokenness that this guy and I just love love that quote with a world so torn up on tearing itself apart. It doesn't seem me such a bad idea to put a little piece of it back together that I just love like love that quote love that idea and there's this image in this movie that he didn't go to fight and to kill but he he he's saying and I don't know if you've watched this movie or not I won't give it all away but he's saying Lord just one more right help me to find so the battle ended and he actually stayed in the battlefield all night while everybody else retreated And he's going and he's finding these people. And Lord, just one more. Lord, what? just one more. And he's rescuing these people. But what I thought in this movie, what was the most beautiful thing about it, is that he was not just rescuing fellow Americans. He was rescuing the Japanese as well. That he was there in establishing this peace. And I know that uh, our lives don't look like that. You know, I don't, I don't think that we're, we're going to war. But there are, there are conflicts, there are battles, and there are these things that go on in our life. And how do we respond to those things? The full extent of Jesus being the Prince of Peace happened in his very last moments on earth. It started with his arrest where we see Peter, his, one of his disciples, his followers, chop off the ear of somebody trying to arrest Jesus. And we see Jesus already stopping that violence and, and healing that brokenness. But when one of the worst and cruelest and most violent crimes the world has ever seen, where they betrayed God, where they rejected God, where his own creation rejected him, where Jesus' own creation rejected him, where they spit on him where they mocked them where they beat him where they put him up on the cross to die that if there was any time that Jesus would have resulted to this resulted in this act of violence if he would have ever res, yeah resulted in the act to to fight back or to flee you think that this would be the time that he would do it where his life is on the line that I can see Jesus as he's there on the cross. I can see him, you know what, now where he establishes, and he's like, now you're going to see my full power. And he could have just, at the snap of his fingers, killed everybody and established his kingdom and tried to bring peace by force in that way. But he didn't do that. He could have, at the snap of his fingers, because he's God, just, and disappeared, went back, sitting at the right hand of God the Father, and said, these guys are a lost cause, I can't do anything, and fled the situation. He could have done that. But what did he do instead? He said, in the moment of some of the most brutal things to ever happen uh, to God, what he did in that moment is he said this. He said, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they've done. That in that moment, that Jesus exampled to everybody the way of peace. And the path of peace is Forgiveness. The path of peace is forgiveness. That there is so much violence that was going on on the cross that it was brutal. But what he did in the middle of that, understanding if if he became violent, it would just start more violence. What he did is he ended the cycle of violence, that he took all of those sins, that he defeated death and he left them there that we can rise to be with God again, right? Like just this beautiful, beautiful thing happened on the cross and what he did, that he ended this cycle of violence and he brought peace to the world. That there are many times in my life, and I think many of us are the same in this journey with Jesus, that we have some of these doubts about God. You know, what, is it, are these things that I'm believing, is it real? And, and I've been somebody who has struggled with those doubts as well, but there's something that keeps bringing me back to Jesus being the way. That when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that there's one thing that he does that just keeps bringing me back to Jesus. And it's this, if we ask somebody, like, is world peace a good idea? I think think it's going to be very hard to find somebody who disagrees with you. Even every beauty pageant in America, every contestant agrees with you. That peace is the the goal. World peace is the goal. But when we look at other religions in the world, the way to peace is, is always through violence. It's always establishing a kingdom by force and it's by violence. Jesus is the only way that establishes his kingdom by peace. He establishes it by forgiveness. And I truly believe that if we were people who wanted world peace, that if we all acted as Jesus did, that moment on the cross that world peace would be brought. That that's how we should be people who live. We should be people who are bringing God's kingdom here. That we realize that that is an incredibly difficult thing to do in our world. In a world that is so torn up on tearing itself apart. I just, um, that it's so hard to do. And where do we even begin? And this is what Jesus says in the middle of, uh, right before his arrest. He says this in John eighteen thirty six, And I think it is so good. He says... My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, my kingdom is from another place. That as Christ followers, yes, we are in this world. Yes, we are, we are surrounded by conflict. Yes, all those things. But when we actually turn to Jesus, that we are welcomed into his family of a kingdom that is not of this world. It's here in this world, but it's not of this world. I was just chatting with... Trent, uh, who's a good friend of mine, and he's reminded me of a quote by this guy from Brian Zahn. He says this, that he says, the church keeps telling you that you need to change the world. I remember going to youth conferences as a kid, and all the speakers are like, you're going to change the world. You're going to change the world. You're going to change the world. But as I get older and I've finished a day of work, I just sit home and I'm exhausted. I'm like, how, how am I going to even have the energy to change the world. I don't know if any of you feel that way as well, that you're just, I don't even know where to begin. I'm exhausted. But Brian Zahn, he says this, that he says, uh, the church has been told for too long that we are to be the instruments that change the world. Instead, we should, be, we should be people who are part of the world that's changed. Instead of being people who are set on changing the world, we should be part of the world that's already changed. And that's the kingdom of God that when we live in this kingdom of God, that that is something that's going to spread, right? It's in partnership, it's work with Jesus, that we believe that that's what he came here to establish. So, how can I be people, how can we be people of peace? And as I was doing a little bit more reading and spending some time on our uh, Mennonite brethren teaching on this, of what does it look like, I opened up this book, and it just says this quote, and I think it's just beautiful, I think it's simple, and I think it's something that can help us in this journey of how can we be people, when we get bumped, to pour out peace. And it says this, it says, peacemaking begins in restoring our relationship with God, then our intimate family and friends, and moves to an ever-widening circles, through acquaintances, our workplace, and the world at large. So when we want to be people to establish peace, where do we begin First, we start with our relationship with God. We make peace with God. This can sound like a little bit of a, uh, yeah, an interesting concept. But what does it actually look like to make peace with God? That inside of us, that we are people who have an inner conflict. Going on, that there's this there's this evil one, there's this tempter, this accuser that is here to seek, kill, and destroy. Um, that when it comes to God, that there are things and lies that we believe about God that can cause us to not have peace with God. That I don't know if there are some people here um, that you've been dealt a really difficult hand. That something has happened to you when you were younger in the church that you were burned by the church and you're holding on to that. Maybe you're somebody here um, who you've experienced loss and not understanding why. Or your life, that there are things that are going on that are just too hard to bear. That in the middle of that, in the middle of the conflict with God, uh, that we have different uh, ways that we can respond to that. Number one, people have responded to God, myself included in seasons of my life, to be angry, to fight to feel like I need to fight with God and I hold on to that bitterness and I'm just fighting with God, that I'm not wanting to let go of these ideas that I have about God, that I'm fighting about God. There's sometimes that we respond to this conflict with God by fleeing. that we think, I just don't want to deal with it, that I'm just going to leave. Uh, I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to follow God. You know what, that was for a time in my life, but I can't do that anymore. I'm too frustrated with God. Or we could peacemake. What would it look like for us to peacemake with God? To actually ask God this, right? Uh, to ask God, God, forgive me for these things that I've done or these things that, I, that I've left undone or these things that I've said or these things uh, that, I've, that I've left unsaid. And when we say those things and we look to this forgiveness and we leave them at the cross with what Jesus did where he actually took this sin and what he did is he actually brought peace by restoring relationship between God and man. That he restored the relationship that was once broken and he brought harmony to relationship. That's what peace is. Peace is harmony in all relationships. But it starts with God. That what would it take for us, and I just want to challenge you this morning, what would it take for us to to make peace with God? Next, and once we've actually realized this piece, we realize we've been restored to God, that we are children, like loved children of God, then what does it look like for us to extend that to other people? Maybe you've, something has happened in your family that uh, your brother did something to you and you're younger and you're still holding on to that grudge. Or your mom, you thought that she would react this way in this, this situation, but she didn't react at all and you're holding that against her. Maybe there are some things that are going on with your family and friends that you're holding on to that you've been just fighting for years. Or that you just fled and you've avoided that, but you keep dreaming about it at night and it keeps coming up. But what would it look like for you to peacemake? To act as Jesus and and be in that moment of forgiveness? And then what would that look like in our workplaces? What would that look like with our neighbors and acquaintances? That when your neighbor takes his leaf blower and blows all the leaves into your yard and you're just frustrated and you could come in with anger and fight back and push all the leaves back or to just leave them and clean them up, but it keeps happening every single year, what would it look like to actually make peace? So first, I think peace, real peace, world peace, it starts with God. Realizing how you've been forgiven Who you are and how you're seen as a beloved child of God. Next, it goes on to those who are close to us. And finally, it starts to move and change the world. Right? If we were all people like that, I'd truly believe that world peace would come. But I still have no idea where to start sometimes. When there's conflict in my life, I don't know where to start. Um, But I believe that we can pray. I believe that we can be people who pray and that God will give us the words to say and can guide us in those situations. So will you just join me in prayer? God, I just want to thank you for uh, your heart. I want to thank you for who you are. I want to thank you that the best realization and example of who you are is found in Jesus. And that when we look at you, Jesus, we see a way not of violence, not of war, but we see a way of peace, forgiveness, love, love, and acceptance. So God, I just pray for everybody here in this space uh, to feel that, that whatever's been going on between them and God, that they realize that, that they're already forgiven. What already happened on the cross, that that is available here, and now that he, in, that God invites everybody here to be part of his kingdom and this kingdom of love. So God, I just want to thank you for that, and I pray um, that there are some people here who are, who are feeling that and experiencing that, and that they believe certain things about you, For so long, God, I just pray for clarity this morning and that they'll see you clearly as the person that you are in this reckless love that we talked about. And God, I know that that we're sitting here and we, we have conflict with people. We look to the world and we see that it's actually filled with war and sometimes we get overwhelmed and we don't know how to respond. But God, help us to be people who don't fight, who don't get angry, who don't get frustrated, who don't do things that we'll regret. Uh, Help us not to be people who just run away and try to ignore that situation because that's not what we're called to do either. Lord, help us to be people of peace and peace.